Hello and welcome to Beer and Money, a financial fireside chat for tech professionals. We work to simplify your finances so that you can enjoy your life. Now here are your hosts, Ryan Burkwell and Alex Collins. Hey everybody, welcome back to Beer and Money. I am your host, Ryan Burklow. Allow me to introduce my co-host, Alex ABC. Easy as one, two, three. Collins. Thank you, Ryan. I've never heard that one before in my life. I'm sure many people just turned us off, actually, <laughs> after my voice. So episode four, uh, part two of episode three, now that we're making money, what do we do with it? And so in episode three, we spoke around, you know, protecting our money, saving our money, and how those two go hand in hand. Today's conversation is going to be around growing your balance sheet, enjoying your wealth, and then the eventual transfer of your wealth. So let's, let's, Talk about growing the balance sheet a little bit here. So we, earlier on, and I think it was episode two, we were talking about different buckets of money and having looking at your financial picture with the end in mind. Yeah, the, the short term, the medium term, and the long term buckets. A different way of looking at it is trying to create financial balance between savings-based accounts, things that have a lot of guarantees associated with them, investment-based accounts, they have a lot of flexibility with them. There's not a, a specific time frame that we have to wait until we can access them, things of that nature. And then lastly, retirement accounts where we can't access it, at least not easily, before age 59 and a half. Uh, there are, of course, uh, a whole bunch of caveats like periodic systematic distributions and all of the other fun analytical tools that you make fun of me for. Yes, and that will never, never stop. So savings, we spoke about last time, controlling what you control. We want to make sure we've got, we're saving 15 to 20% of our, our paycheck. And sitting in savings, we wanted an emergency fund of six, 12 months of, of expenses sitting in that account. Sometimes it's even income. And really the characteristics that we want for that type of an account are we want it to be safe. We don't want it to fluctuate based on what's going on in the market, whether that's the stock market, the real estate market, the bond market, any type of market. We want it to be stable. We want it to be liquid, meaning that we can get access to it, that it's accessible, that it's easy to to, to reach. We don't have to jump through a ton of hoops to, to get access to it, that it takes us a week or less to be able to, to access the funds and then lastly, we don't have to pay a big penalty to access it. And so while a lot of people think of, of CDs as you know a savings vehicle, some of the CDs that are out there can have some pretty stiff penalties to access the money. So that wouldn't necessarily fit into our definition because of the, the barrier between you and your money. Right. And again, we want, if we're saving 15 to 20% of our income, or more, we want that going into all three 
areas, savings, investments, and retirement. This isn't about throwing it all in the savings, next step, throwing it all to the midterm bucket, if you will, and the next step, throwing it into the retirement account. It's about having money going into each one of these accounts. Maybe earlier on in your career, it's more shifted towards savings and investments and less going into the retirement accounts. It depends on your financial situation, For sure. but it's not an all or none type of scenario. Uh, absolutely. And, and more of where we see the all or none component come in is when we talk about the other side of the balance sheet, when we, when we hear people talk about debt, you know, wanting to, I had a, a good friend of mine who said that they're planning on paying off their house in five years and you know, they're going to put significant extra payments towards that. Generally speaking, we typically aren't huge fans of that because of the, the low rate of return, the lack of liquidity that's involved with that, uh, things of that nature, you know, or complete focus on paying down uh, student loans or credit card debt or a car or something of that nature. Now, if it's insidious, if it's like 15, 20%, sure, we're, a bulk of our money may go there. At the same time, we do need to make sure that we're building good savings habits and we're building up an emergency reserve, that we're creating liquidity. You know, one of the things that was was so devastating for folks back in the, the Great Recession of, of 08 was I had business owners that paid down their line of credit thinking that it would free up the ability to use that line of credit only to have the bank take it away. Yeah freeze that line of credit at the lower amount or eliminate it completely. And so, you know, they may have just dropped a hundred grand on paying off a line of credit and thinking that they'd be able to have the line of credit. And nope, they really, what they freed up was whatever the interest payment was on that or, or the, the payment to, uh, to pay the loan. And they lost in that example, a hundred grand of liquidity. Eek. There's definitely a difference between good debt and bad debt and, and analyzing cash flow around should they be taking a hundred grand and paying off debt to then have an open line of credit to then see it go away. I mean, that had to be just devastating. But, you know, back to the, the savings, investments and retirement, Alex, we, we spoke about savings, I think, quite a bit now here. Investments and retirement, I think a lot of people might be wondering, OK, what's the difference in the two? Sure. So investments, like I said, there's no age 59 and a half rule or requirement, meaning that we have to get to age 59 and a half before we can access it. And yes, I'm, I'm sure that many of you are aware that there's ways to get access to qualified retirement plans through periodic systematic distributions or loans or hardships. And, and yes, all of those things are true. And yet you're still jumping through hoops if you're accessing qualified retirement plans prior to age 59 and a half. And what's the purpose of the retirement account again? To be there for retirement. Right. So the investment bucket is another bucket of money that we're still actively trying to get a rate of return, if you will, maybe not as aggressively as in our retirement, or maybe it is, it just depends on your situation. But it's more of our money working for us that we have access to, that we don't have to jump through a lot of hoops to get after for opportunities that may arise. Yeah. And we talked about characteristics in the past, the characteristics that, that the investment bucket has, and we might wind up with 
a couple different types of characteristics depending upon whether we're on the the shorter end of the time horizon or the longer end of the time horizon. But you know, typically we're going to want a, a better rate of return than savings. Typically, we're not going to be as aggressive as retirement. We're going to want access to those funds. Any tax favorability that we can get, great. But it's more important to have access and liquidity than it is to to get tax advantages. And then it's a trade-off between risk and reward most of the time. And there are certain examples where we can go ahead and actually get a bigger reward with less risk and still maintain liquidity depending upon structure and vehicle and circumstances. Right. And it doesn't have to be stocks, bonds, doesn't have to be mutual funds. It, it, there, there's so many different pieces here that that investment bucket could be. Absolutely. It could be real estate. I mean, it could be limited partnerships. There are, it could be certain insurance contracts. There's There are ton of different structures out there it's really figuring out what what's appropriate for you and what's appropriate for you is going to be different than what's appropriate for me or for you know any of our you know different listeners uh helping to understand what what the best circumstance and best structure is uh for you given your individual circumstances that that's that's really what you're after and then we've got the retirement accounts and so you know you've got the all the different style retirement accounts out there. You've got your your employer retirement accounts, your 401ks, your 403bs, 401as, that standpoint. Uh, you also have the uh, personal IRAs that you could set up, either Roth or traditional. And so analyzing the Roth, how much are we going into Roth versus traditional? We spoke about that in the last podcast. So I'm not going to go into the, the nitty gritty of that, but the understanding how your tax now and how you're taxed into the future should be part of that conversation around your your financial picture. Absolutely, and, and continuing to evaluate it on an ongoing basis, uh, to a large extent, you can have control over, over what that looks like through contributions, as well as through the ability to, to convert uh, traditional or non-deductible assets into Roth uh, IRA, Roth 401k. Right. And the reason you'd want to do that is to be able to control to some degree your taxability in retirement on the income you're taking out. Yeah, it could be uh, that the government has announced that there's going to be a tax increase, whether it's uh, instituting a state income tax or uh, something on the, the federal level. It, it could be as simple as, you know, hey, we took a sabbatical this year and so our income was zero or close to zero. All right. Well, is there, does it make sense to convert some traditional 401k or IRA into Roth this year? Because we're going to be in a significantly lower tax bracket than we normally are. And we're going to go back up to our normal income next year and beyond. So we've addressed you know, the, the assets, if you will, and, and the different buckets of where your money should be be sitting and the tax, some tax standpoints around those buckets. The other piece around your balance sheet in most Americans' lives is debt. And it's either the consolidation of debt, the, the debt pay down, and how to address it. And so oftentimes when we're looking at how much money should you be throwing towards debt, well, first up, that we always state is 
if you don't have money sitting in savings, you shouldn't be overpaying on the debt because if something happens, you're going right back into debt because you've got no emergency reserves sitting there. Right. So want to throw that caveat out there. The second thing is, is, okay, if you've got that emergency reserve sitting there and we're actually trying to attack debt, how do we at- attack it in the most efficient manner? And I like to start off with just the 50-year versus 30-year mortgage, if you will, and just analyze that from just a, a cash flow, time value, money conversation. When you go to purchase a home, you you can choose a 15-year loan or a 30-year loan. And there's other variations out there, but a lot of people analyze those too. The 15-year loan obviously pays off your home quicker. You're going to pay less in interest over time because it's only 15 years rather than 30 years. And this is often trumpeted as, you know, you'll save hundreds of thousands of dollars by doing this. And they're not wrong. They're 100% accurate. They just forgot to include a couple pieces into that entire picture. Yeah, they're only telling you half the story. And so what you should be looking at also is, okay, what are the cash flow implications of choosing the 15-year versus 30-year? A 15-year loan will, from a cost perspective or cash flow perspective, be a higher payment than the 30-year perspective. Yeah, exactly. The, the easiest way that we've found to, to address this conversation is to figure out, okay, well, what would we do with extra cash? Where would it go? And really we're, what we're looking at is what is the highest, best use of those dollars? Is it paying down high-interest credit cards? Is it investing in 401k? Is it investing in your own company? Whatever the circumstance and situation is, whatever the highest and best use is, that that's where we'd put the dollars. Well, and interest rates had fallen, and they're still kind of going back down again now, where the mortgage loan on a 30-year loan was like 3.5% or maybe even lower. Yeah, and I don't know that it's gotten all the way down to 3.5%, at least not yet. I mean, maybe, maybe it will, maybe it won't. 15-year mortgages are certainly under 3.5%. And, and it's really taking a look at, all right, how much cash flow do we need to put into the 15-year mortgage? Got it. it let's say it's $3,000. Okay, great. Now how much cash flow do we need to put into the 30-year loan? Maybe that's only $2,400. Well, if you're comparing those two things and you're saying, well, well, the 15-year mortgage saves you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, you're also putting $600 a month for 15 years more into that plan. It's not a flexible plan. That's true. (laughs) There there is no flexibility in that plan. Put it this way. If you've got twin brothers, let's say, and they both bought the exact same house on the exact same street with the exact same interest, maybe not the same interest rate, but one purchased a 15-year loan and one purchased a 30-year loan. And same down payment. Same down payment. Like everything's same, same except for the loan. If one of the brothers was doing the, the one that was doing the 15 year loan and then got into financial issues where they either maybe couldn't pay the payment or defaulted on the payment, is the bank going to be very lenient on them or are they just going to say, sorry, the house is theirs? No, not at all. They're going to, the bank's going to take it as quickly as they can. You've given the bank more money, so it's not as big of a loss, say, as the 30-year person. It's a big loss to them because that person hasn't given them as much money. Now, they still might kick them out, but maybe there's some wiggle room there. And then on top of that, 
you're literally giving the 50, the loan, the debt owner, more money every year. And if that situation comes up, how do you address everything? Yeah. So the the way to take a look at this and compare apples to apples is whatever the difference in the payment is, run a present value calculation on what that is going to do over whatever the time period is. So, you know, okay, we've got a, a surplus cash flow of $600 a month in my hypothetical example for the first 15 years. Great. At the end, you have a $2,400 a month cash flow deficit for the last 15 years. Which one's better? Which one's greater? We need to actually go run the numbers to figure out why we would want to do the 15-year versus the 30-year. And again, we're not stating that everyone should go do the 30-year. It's more of just looking at it and understanding the financial cash flow aspects so that you choose what's best for you. Absolutely. And everyone's calculation is going to be a little bit different because the present value calculation is based on whatever your highest best use of funds are. You know, if you've got a whole bunch of credit card debt out there at 18%, I can guarantee you because I've made the calculation enough times that the 30-year mortgage is going to be way more cost effective because you'll be able to pay off that credit card debt. Exactly. So, We've given this example of 15-year versus 30-year, and Alex just is transitioning us here to the, the credit card or other debts, if you will. Attack your highest interest rate debt first, right? You want to go after the credit card that's at a 16 or 20% interest rate and maybe overpay on that, then overpay on your mortgage or maybe your 5 or 6% student loan. Yeah. Uh, the, the only caveat that might be a little bit different there. Uh, would be taking a look at if you've got multiple credit cards and one of them is at, say, 12% and the other one's at 15%, but you're able to to pay off the 12% right. and free up cash flow so that it doesn't it isn't required to be used. And take that, all of that money then, and then attack it towards the other debt, and you got this compounding effect of getting your debt paid off that much quicker. Sure. And you know when you're dealing with double-digit credit cards, yes, rolling it towards the next one's great. When you're down in the neighborhood of maybe four, five, six percent, you know, let's take half of that payment that was going towards that, roll it onto the other debt, and then let's take the other half and put it into some type of savings vehicle. Right, and it, it could be something as simple as a home refinance. You know, one of the upcoming episodes, I interviewed a mortgage advisor, not a, yeah, a mortgage advisor, and he does refinances, and essentially he takes these high interest rate interest rate debts incorporates it into the mortgage, frees up a bunch of cash flow that allows them to have a much simpler, enjoyable life financially. Absolutely. I mean, crunch the numbers every single time we do these. But yeah, I mean, oftentimes, you know, if you can take uh, 15% debt and turn it into 4% debt. Kind of big. That's, that's a win. Step number four is about enjoying your wealth, right? So it's about, you know, having a plan, controlling what you can control. This is going to give you the ultimate flexibility so you can actually sit down or not sit down, go out in the world and, and enjoy your wealth. Hopefully drinking a beer. Yeah, absolutely. It, so much of what we're talking about here with enjoy your wealth is 
I mean, we've, we've harped on it a little bit in the past, but creating financial balance, a lot of it is simply eliminating the, the time, energy, and effort spent thinking about these things and worrying about them. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of people that they don't really know where to start, and it's just a constant worry. It constantly drains their, their energy so that they're not able to be present with their family, their spouse, their kids, be present at the things that they love doing, whether that's, you know, playing in public baseball or, you know, hanging out with their friends because they're concerned about their finances and they don't really know what to do. A lot of what we're talking about here is freeing up mental capability, knowing that you've got a plan that is going to take care of things. And again, that goes back to, you know, kind of what you started with, which is control the controllables. Well, and how much easier is it to have a conversation with your spouse when financially speaking, you're in a good spot and you're just, it's just a check-in meeting rather than, oh crap, we're way underfunded for this aspect of our life. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes we'll, we'll talk to spouses and there's one spouse that's in charge of the finances. Sometimes it's the wife, sometimes it's the husband. And really the other one's just kind of along for the ride. And the, the spouse that is in charge of it, you know, like there is no win for them. Either they did what they were supposed to do and get a pat on the back and say, hey, congrats at the end. Or they messed up and now the other spouse is just beyond livid. I mean, it's really unfair because the spouse that wasn't involved, they just completely abdicated their their authority and and choice they don't really have a right to be mad correct and it could be also you know there's plenty of people out there where you know and it tends to be the male where they're macho and i'm going to handle the finances and almost don't even allow the spouse to, to have a conversation with that and again money oftentimes if not handled correctly leads to a a divorce or at least not a fun relationship and that's the last thing that you want to deal with it's the number one thing that couples fight about so then we get to transfer and so when we're talking about transfer we we really want to dispel uh, uh, the myth or we hear sometimes that i want my last check to bounce like when you get to retirement, I want my last check to bounce. Yeah. And when this is, for the most part, this is really folks that they don't want to intentionally save dollars to, to hand on to their kids or they don't believe in, in passing on a silver spoon to their kids, things of that nature. And they, they want to make sure that they get to enjoy their wealth. Well, and it what it really comes down to is it's going to be very hard for you to have your last check bounce because, and actually I'll even back up. The the biggest issue is, is we can't predict when we're going to pass away. If we could, it would make it a little bit easier from a financial planning perspective. However, how many other variables still messes with that idea of having your last check bounce? Oh, inflation, interest rates, taxes, rate of return, unforeseen expenses, family dynamic. That's six rattled off the top of our head. Last time you and I tried to calculate it, we stopped somewhere around 64. And that was mainly you calculating it just to be 100% <laughs> clear on that. The, the point is, is uh, 
as much as we would all love to just drain our our wealth and and live the high life when we get to retirement, if you plan appropriately, you're going to get the, the best of both worlds, the high life in retirement, and you'll be able to transfer money on to the next generation to the, or to the charity or just living the life that you want to live. Even if if that's not important to you, it's still having the lifestyle that you ultimately want throughout your life. Yeah. Talking with folks that are in retirement, the concept of bouncing your last check for folks that are in retirement and getting close to it is actually petrifying. It it sounds awesome when you're saving for retirement. Like, Hey, I I don't, I want to save this money for me. I don't, I, I want to enjoy my golden years as much as possible. Awesome. And even the first, you know, 5, 10, 15 years in retirement, it's, hey, I, I really want to enjoy my retirement. 100%. And most of the clients that, I, that I've helped shepherd through retirement, when they get to a certain point, they start having this just, fear of running out of money if we go through a downturn if their account balances are are starting to to get lesser which if we're going to bounce our last check your account balances are going to go to zero and so once they start seeing that trend begin to occur they start freaking out that they're going to wind up living in a box under the freeway eating ramen if they're lucky yeah when you actually literally look at the reality of what that statement is they don't really mean that what they mean is they just want to enjoy their money and if you're looking at your finances and you're controlling what you can control chances are you're going to be able to do that yeah 100 percent. but now this leads to the inevitability that we're gonna have assets left over whether that's real estate whether that's dollars in a bank account whether that's dollars in investment accounts, retirement accounts, we're gonna have money left over. And so the wealth transfer concept is really, you know, a lot of people talk about it from a taxation standpoint, and that's certainly an aspect of it. But really, it's it's more about, again, going back to the, the concept of controlling what you can control you know, and having intentionality with what we wanna have happen with our money. It's not just transfer from say you to your children or great-grandchildren how about the transfer from you to your spouse yeah so it's all encompassing is what we're looking at here and and that's that's the piece that we wanted to make sure you're considering well and if you've got you know challenging family dynamics like second spouses or adopted kids or stepchildren or half children things of that nature those dynamics get pretty complex pretty quickly. And so making sure that it's well spelled out. You know, I remember a few years ago, there was a family that I had in where we had seven brothers and sisters sitting around a table and we couldn't get more than three of them to agree on just about anything. And unfortunately the documents weren't put together in such a way that it was helpful to be able to understand what the parents who had both you know, in quick succession recently passed away, really wanted for their kids. You know, and they had a whole bunch of real estate, they they had assets, 
And what wound up happening was the kids proceeded to fight over the assets and wound up not being good for any of the kids. You know, really the only people who, who made out well in that scenario was the attorneys. So we're ending on a, a lovely conversation here. <laughs> so let's just let's just recap here on the action items from today's from today's podcast. Grow your balance sheet, grow it efficiently, and have that blueprint. Think with the end in mind. Enjoy your wealth. If you are controlling what you can control, it allows you to actually go out and enjoy the money. If you're saving the appropriate amount, spend the rest. And then from the transfer aspect, the only thing we're saying there is, is frankly, back to the blueprint. Think with the end in mind and, and really look at how you can make your finances as efficient as possible and as simple as possible so that you can live the life that you want to live. Yeah. And know, know that you're going to wind up with extra assets and have a plan for what you want to do with them to make sure that the legacy that you want to leave is the legacy that you get to leave. So with all that being said, have yourself a great rest of your day. And in Alex's favorite terminology, cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guests, speakers, and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities Guardian or Quantified Financial Partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Brian and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ, 3585 Maple Street, under 130 Ventura, California, 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. The Living Balance Sheet, LBS, and the LBS logo are service marks of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Copyright 2005-2019 Guardian. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Number 2019-83109, expiration 07-2021.